Alright, we are in Romans chapter 8, and we're going to pick up where we left off last time, and that's Romans chapter 8, verse 27. Romans eight twenty-seven. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom He predestined, He also called. And these whom He called, He also justified. And these whom He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written for... Your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Okay, so we'll start looking back. Look back at verse 27. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So God searches our hearts. It would be very good if we were honest about God, honest with God about these things. Because He searches our hearts. He knows it all anyway. He knows it all. He knows what's going on there. He searches the heart. The Spirit searches the hearts. It says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. Hebrews 4, 13. And there is no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are open and laid bare before the eyes with whom we have to do before the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. There's no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. God sees everything. And God calls us to be open with Him. And uh, He sees everything. You know, the Scriptures talk about having the fear of God. And that's so much of what it is, having the fear of God, knowing that God sees everything. You know, I, I can't do that. I mean, God is here. He He sees this. That's something I can't do. There should be the fear of God that He is watching us. It is good to have the fear of God that He watches everything that we do. And He searches our hearts. He even, he even knows. He even knows what the mind of the Spirit... Uh, uh, he even knows the mind of the Spirit because He intercedes. So He's searching our hearts. He knows the mind of the Spirit. And because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the Spirit intercedes for us according to the will of God. The Spirit is praying for us. That's what that means. Now let's look in verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. He says, and we know. This isn't just something that Paul learned. This is something he knows. He says, and we know. We know this to be true. We have lived this in our life. We know this to be true. There is something that we know here. And what we know is this, is that we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, 
to those who are called according to his purpose. He does not say that everything that comes at us in life is good. He says that he can cause all things that are there to ultimately work together for good. There are many things that come at us that are hard and that are difficult. But think about this. If you could choose somebody to teach your child whom you love, somebody that had to mentor them and instruct them, would you want somebody who just says nice things to your child every day and smooths the way for them all the time and doesn't make it challenging because, you know, they, they don't want it to be too hard on this, on this child? No, you want somebody who's going to challenge them. You want somebody who's going to, to stretch them, to cause them to have to work hard to gain in certain areas. God does this with us all the time. He does not make our lives easy. It is just to the contrary, as we'll continue to see in this chapter. He doesn't make it easy at all. He makes it, he makes it hard. He makes it hard for us to cause us to mature. And he says, but he causes all things to work together for good. God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. So he doesn't do this for everyone. There are two things here. You gotta love God and you gotta be called according to his purpose. It comes through the love of God and being called according to his purpose. If we love God and if we're in his calling, he will cause the situations to work together for good. Now, how can God do that? How can God cause all things that happen in our life to work together for good? If you like this verse, lots of people memorize this verse. If it like, if you like this verse, the implication here is that God is omnipotent. God can do anything. In other words, whatever a situation is, he can ultimately, in the end, work it out for good. And, and uh, we don't always see the good of it, even in this life. But because we very much believe, as we talked about, that there is a resurrection of all the believers, it will in the end work out for good. God says that. But the implied in that is God is omnipotent. That He can change the course of human history. That all these things are going to work out for good. Do you see that? That's the implication in this verse. Now, I want you to remember that, that it's speaking of God's omnipotence. That means God is in charge of everything. He's omnipotent. He's in charge of everything. And it doesn't stop there. As we read these next verses, remember that God is omnipotent. That means he's in charge of everything. All right, the next verse here. Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. When he is talking about justification, we covered, that was the whole first part of the book of Romans, justification. That deals with the past aspect of our salvation. And then he got to sanctification, which deals with the present aspect of our salvation. And now he's in the the the, the uh, glorification, which deals with the future aspect of our salvation. So when he says here, those whom he called, he also justified, and these whom he justified, he also glorified. He is speaking about believers. 
He is speaking about called people, those whom he called, he justified. These are people who are called. The Bible speaks of them as chosen or elect, depending on your translation. The called or the chosen or the elect. And so he says here in verse 29, those whom he foreknew. It's not what he foreknew, it's whom he foreknew. He's talking about people here. And those whom he foreknew. We already dealt in verse 28 that God is omnipotent. So he doesn't stop being omnipotent in verse 28. Stop right there and then, and then no longer omnipotent in verse 29. He remains omnipotent. He can do anything. In verse 29, those whom he foreknew. This idea of foreknowledge in the Greek means with pre-planning. So, I knew that I was going to be here today, Sunday, October 17th, in this gym at 10 a.m. Central Time. I knew it. And it was not because I heard some divine word a few nights ago where God spoke to me and said, you're going to be in the gym, in the gymnasium, in that church at 10 a.m. No. We know this. I knew this because I pre-planned it. Foreknowledge means pre-planning. When he's talking about those whom he foreknew, it was pre-planned. It was pre-planned this way. That's how I knew I was going to be here because I planned it. I planned it to happen this way. And so those whom he foreknew, meaning the ones that he pre-planned, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. To become conformed to the image of his son. I mean, look at the way the Bible puts it. He doesn't say he predestined them to be Christians. Actually, the word Christian is what other people called believers in the early church. They did not call themselves Christians. Other people call them that. And so ultimately, Peter says, look, if if people call you Christian, don't be ashamed of that name. But if you were to go to Israel today and talk to the Messianic Jews, Jews that are Jews by, by descendancy, but they believe that Jesus is the Messiah, they don't call themselves Christians... They call themselves Jews. And and you'll say, do they get a little bit more specific? They call themselves believers. That's what they call themselves. In the U.S., we have a tendency to call those Messianic Jews. But look at the way God puts it here in this passage. Conformed to the image of His Son. Those who are going to be like my Son. I mean, this is the best. Can you imagine that God is going to take us and conform us into the image of His Son? That's the best thing you can ever happen in your life, is that you're going to be conformed to the image of Jesus, because Jesus is the best in every way. Jesus is so good, so kind, so righteous, so loving in everything. God said, I'm going to make you like my son. You couldn't, you couldn't tell me anything more pleasing to me than you're going to make me like Jesus. It says that he predestined, he also predestined, Not what, whom. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. There is a predestination in the Bible. He predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. In other words, I want to make a lot of you, like Jesus. I mean, what could be better? And this is why he's always working in our life to conform us into the image of his son. This is so good. This pain that I go through, this hardship that I go through, 
this instance that I go through, this persecution that I go through, that's to make me like Jesus. And then it makes it worthwhile. This is making me more like Jesus. He never promises us an easy life. It is just the contrary. He promises us a hard life because that's how we get conformed into the image of His Son. And those whom He predestined, He also called. Remember this calling. What is calling me? He called those whom He called. He also justified. This is talking about salvation. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. And they're going to be with Him. They're going to stay there. God doesn't stop being omnipotent in verse 28. This is His omnipotence, also in verse 29 and 30. Now, if it bothers you that something could be predestined like this, get over it. This is the Word of God. All right? So it means that if it bothers you, it means that your taste is corrupt. And that's why God is going to conform you to the image of His Son. This is right. We're wrong if we, if, if, if we have trouble with this. This book is right. We are wrong. Alright? Now, the other thing is, if this whole idea of predestination bothers you, you just wait until we hit chapter 9. Chapter 9 is going to blow you out of your seat if predestination bothers you. Because God doesn't stop being omnipotent. Just because you don't believe in predestination. If you don't believe in predestination, why don't you just take the penknife of Jehoiakim and cut this verse out? You would never do that, would you? It's there. It's there. I have heard people read this verse and then preach just the opposite. It, it, it's there's nothing hard to understand about this verse. The hard part is what's stirring in our own heart. We have our own notions on what's right. We have our own notions. And you say, can God make me a believer in Him? Can God make me a Christian? I tell you, yes! Against my will? No. Not against your will. Because in the day when His power comes upon you, you will become willing. That's what it is. You will become willing the day His power comes upon you. God is not sitting back saying, Oh, I wish they would only let me an opening into their heart. Oh, Not at all. God's omnipotent. He takes our will... And he puts it in conformity to his will. Everything. In everything he's in charge. And you say, well, he, he only knows this on, on the basis he foreknew who was going to have faith. Now, how can that be? How can that be? That he, he only foreknew this based on who he was going to have, who was going to have faith. Because faith is from God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So by grace you've been saved through faith. Yeah, you see, it was because of my faith. Because of my faith. That's how he foreknew. He foreknew I was going to have faith. Oh, really? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. So even your faith is not of you, it's a gift of God. 
So how could he have foreseen it on the basis of their faith? It's God who gives faith. Faith comes from God. God is the one who gives faith. So even the faith that you have, it's not from yourself, it's from God. Even the faith that we have is from God. Everything we have from is from God. Look in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is, Philippians 2.13, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Even your will is from God. Even your will is from God. I tell you, if it were based upon us only, we are inclined to evil in everything. There is not one that is righteous, no, not one, the scriptures say. None of us are righteous. We are inclined to evil and so disinclined to anything that is good in and of ourselves. Everything is because of God. Everything is because of God. Our will is from God. Our faith is from God. And He doesn't go against our own will. He just conforms our will in the day of His power. And so what happens is, This gives me enormous faith when I preach to people. Because it's God who has to change their hearts. It's God who does it. And this is why I go in there and people say, how can you make such a bold claim that you're going to share with them and they're going to get saved on that very day? Because I know God's in charge, not me. If it were up to me, how how would I know? But God's in charge. And that they have shown an interest in that they've asked to hear this message, I know they're interested. If they weren't among this group where God was calling right now, they wouldn't be interested. They're interested. And this is how I know. Because God's in charge of everything. You see, it it gives you this enormous confidence. You get this enormous confidence. Because it's God who calls, God who predestines this, and God does it. And so what happens is, the conviction of sin, it's, it's a, it, the, this pattern happens every time I preach to people. You talk about sin, and conviction comes upon the person. So sin arrests us. It stops them in their tracks. Yes, I'm a sinner. And there is nothing that you can do about it. And then He overshadows you with His love. This indescribable gift that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated His love to us in that while we were yet sinners, He died for us. This is the message I preach. And then, boom! The truth of the resurrection is in their heart. Just like that. It is so simple. It is right here. But... If it bothers you, sit tight. When we get into chapter 9, you are going to be squirming. All right? Because this is what it talks about. People who disagree disagree with this, they don't even like to read chapter 9 of the book of Romans. They don't even like to read it. It's too hard on them. It's like when a Jewish person, and I'm Jewish, but when a Jewish person who doesn't believe in Jesus as the Messiah, they don't read Isaiah 53. They don't. You say, well, if they'd only read it, then they'd learn. Well, if you only read chapter 9 of the book of Romans, you'd learn something. It is so utterly clear. So he's just priming us with these few little verses. Just wait till chapter 9. It, then it, it'll really hit you. Um, all right, verse 31. What then 
shall we say to these things? So Paul says, look, there are these people that God has called. He's predestined them to be saved. He's predestined them to be saved. Yeah, he knew they would have faith because God gave them faith. Yeah, he knew he would conform their will to it because he's the one who makes their will. So Paul says, what shall we say to these things? Paul is speechless. What shall we say to these things? What are you going to say? It's right there. This is not difficult to understand, he says. It's not difficult to understand. It's difficult for us to receive because we function on the basis of what we call, what we call fairness. It's not fair. I don't like it because it's not fair. Well, God's going to address that issue of fairness in chapter 9. So hold tight. We'll go over the whole issue of fairness in chapter 9. He says, what do we say to these things? And when Paul says, what do we, what shall we say to these things? He's about to make it clear. If God is for us, who is against us? He says, God has preordained this. If he's for us, it can't stop. It cannot help but happen. If God is for us, who's against us? It can't stop from happening. Remember, God's the one who creates this whole universe in 10 to the minus 42 seconds from nothing. Remember that that one? He's the guy who does this. He's amazing. If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? He does... He, 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 he demonstrates the greater, which confirms that he can do the lesser. This is typical rabbinic style. You show that, that something grand, therefore justifies something much smaller is easier. Uh, you, you see Jesus even used, used this same thing. Like when he, when he healed, uh, uh, the paralytic. He says, you know, which, which is easier to say? Uh, uh, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. So you, you, you do one thing to show the other. And this is what he says. He says, look, he didn't spare his own son, but he delivered him over for us all. How is he not going to give us everything with him? <clears throat> he Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. So who's going to bring a charge? Who's going to bring this charge against God's elect? This is like, this is like a, a legal charge. Who's going to bring a charge? Go ahead, bring, bring forth the charge. It says in, in John chapter 5, verse 22, For not even the Father judges anyone, but He has given all judgment to the Son. That's in John chapter 5, 22. All judgment has been given to Jesus, His Son. All judgment. It's been given to Jesus, His Son. So, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. You can't bring a charge. Jesus is the one who's the judge. You can't even bring a charge. So when we condemn ourselves, Jesus said, too bad. I'm not condemning you. I'm I'm not condemning you. You be in Christ, I don't condemn you. Verse 34. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Whoa! 
He just told us in verse 27 that the Spirit intercedes for us. And now he says the Son intercedes for us. The Spirit is in our hearts. The Son is at the right hand of God. I mean, how can we fail? You got the Spirit of God praying for us. You got the Son of God praying for us. This gives me enormous strength. It really does. Because I know Jesus is praying for me. It's like, I mean, how could I not go out confidently in the morning if Jesus, the Son of God, is praying for me? That's what it says. Believe it. That's what it says. you got to grab hold of these truths by faith. Grab hold of the truth of this by faith. Verse 35. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? You know, I, I don't even, I don't even know these things. I mean, I, I'm like in kindergarten when it comes to persecution. I really am. Tribulation? I mean, what kind of tribulation have I ever gone through? Like, there's never been in a time, a time in my life when I didn't have food. Yeah, well, yeah, I've been hungry, which meant that I just had to go home and say, Mom, I'm starving. And then right away there was food put in front of me. She never said, Son, the cupboards are bare. I'm sorry. Never happened. So tribulation or distress or persecution, you say, I've never been persecuted. Not by biblical terms. Yeah, people have made fun of me. Yeah, you can search my name on the internet. People have written a lot of things about me. But that's not really persecution. That's kindergarten. Really. The Bible says in Hebrews, you are not yet suffered to the point of shedding blood. <clears throat> so it's like the shedding of blood is the minimum standard. If you haven't shed blood... One day I was doing open-air preaching on my college campus in front of the chapel, not knowing that there was a Jewish gathering going on in the chapel. I didn't know. So I'm open-air preaching, and one guy walks up and he says, I'm going to punch you right in the nose. And I was kind of happy that I might be able to shed blood for the cause of the gospel, but he never hit me. So, so um, uh, persecution or famine, I've never been in a famine. Never been in a famine. Now, it may come in some, at some point, but to my life, I've never been in a famine. Or nakedness, never a problem for me. Or peril, or sword, this never, never been a problem. I mean, think of it. You know, this is the life that those folks knew. And that's what he's talking about. He says, for your sake we are putting, being put to death all day long. We are considered <clears throat> as sheep to the slaughter. So he's, he's, he's citing Psalm 44 verse 22. <clears throat> so in this he's guaranteeing us, he's guaranteeing us that we are going to be, uh, uh, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to the slaughter. He is guaranteeing them that they will undergo persecution. <clears throat> This is not something that they can <clears throat> they can battle with. Not something that they can stop. It's going to happen. But he says, in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. So look what he says. He doesn't say we conquer in all these things, which would be great. He says we overwhelmingly conquer. He says it's it's not even a competition. It's like, <clears throat> you know, the, 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 the couch potato guy who, who watches MMA and thinks he can fight. And then he goes in the ring with someone who really fights in the MMA. I mean, it, it's not even a competition. 
you know, the person who sits on the couch is, is gassed in like nine seconds. I mean, it's over. <clears throat> this, he's saying, it's not even a competition here. Nothing can separate us. He says in verse 38, For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. You wonder ever, does God really love me? It's like, I mean, how many times do you have to be told? I mean, this is right here. How many times do you have to be told? There is nothing... Even you yourself cannot separate you from the love of Christ. It is, as I have told my children many times when they were growing up, I said, you will always be my child and that can never change. And I will always love you. That will never change. I will always love you. I may not always be excited about what you're doing. may not always agree with your decisions. But I will always love you and that will never change. God says to us, I will always love you, and that will never change. Even when you walk in rebellion, I will always love you. Even when my children are in rebellion, I will always love them. Forever I will love my children. Forever God will love us. Forever He will love us. Now, we walk in rebellion. Because He loves us, it's not going to be an easy life as we saw. Things will come upon us. It's not going to be an easy life. But... But uh, uh, he says that I will always love you. Nothing will separate you from my love. Nothing's going to separate you. If you know Christ this day, I tell you, you know him. Not because your faith is so deep. Not because your will is so strong. It's because he put that will in you. And he overshadowed you with his love. Which made you willing to receive him. His faith, the faith that you have, is faith from Him. Faith is a gift from God. It's not from yourself. Very clear. He's given us faith. The faith that you have is from God. Everything that you have to seek Him is from God. If you be in Christ, it's all from God. That means God thought of you before eternity began. Before the universe was. Before the beginning of time. There was this foreknowledge. He knew you. And he called you. If you are here this day and you do not know the Lord, you too are being called. Because if you were not among the called, you would not be here. You would think that this is ridiculous. Why should I waste my time here listening to this guy? You'd be out somewhere else. Because you are here, if you do not know the Lord, you are already among the elect. And you give me 30 minutes of your time and you will get saved. It's all I ask. 30 minutes of your time. So if you don't know the Lord, please come and see me after. We're going to have lunch at, at our home. We're going to be outside the home at, t- at tables. Please come. I will sit with you. And in 30 minutes you will be saved. And you will be a different person. Jesus will come into your life just like he came into my life. And your life will be changed forever and ever. Please do that. If you're online and uh, um, you can send me an email... To, uh, you can send it to tour at rice.edu, uh, tour at rice.edu, and I will respond and we will set up a time by Zoom to get together, and in 30 minutes you'll get saved. 
So give me that opportunity and we will do it. All right? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. And Father, I pray for these young people that you would so work in their hearts that they would understand the depth of your love, the depth of your love that you call them even before eternity. You foreknew them and you planned for them to get saved. Father, I pray that you save their souls, that you save their souls by the grace of God, that they would that those here who don't know you, that you would save their souls. And Father, I pray that you would work in the lives of those who are here. Father, work in their lives that they may know you all the more. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, you are the best in every way. Conform us to be more like you. Father, do what it takes in our lives to conform us to be more like you. Do what it takes by the grace of God. Glory be to your name. Blessed be your name, Lord God. Thank you, Father, for all your grace, for all your kindness. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.